All right, we're back on the Mike Farrell Sports Show. My name is Adam, and as always, I've got my uh, my main man here, the godfather of recruiting, Mr. Mike Farrell, for another week. Mike, how are you, my friend? I'm thrilled to be alive, as always. Thrilled to be alive, Mike. Uh, well, we got a lot of a lot to get into. A lot of Big Ten stuff this week. Uh, coaches made a lot of a lot of headlines with commentary. Uh, Matt Corral said a thing that wasn't really a thing that turned into a thing that might be a thing. We'll get into that whole thing. Right. I'm sure you're pissed off about something, so we'll we'll probably touch on that at some point as well. But you said you're happy to be alive, which is good news because if you weren't, this would be a really weird show. Somebody who did not look happy to be alive, Mike, at Big Ten Media Day, though, was Sad Scott Frost, obviously the beleaguered Nebraska coach, yeah. the prodigal son who came home to Nebraska, was going to resurrect the Huskers and bring them back into national prominence. Hasn't necessarily gotten anywhere near that uh, that trajectory at this point, and uh, he he showed up at media day and he looked a little bit uh, a little bit sad there, Mike. What did what did you what did you make of Scott's demeanor? I like your graphic too. It said "sad Scoot Frost." Yeah, it did. Yeah, you like that? That's a better name. We'll change Although that Scoot now. is like Scoot makes you feel energetic. It makes you feel sure. you know like Scooter gonna get him. The rip roaring energy. He didn't have a lot of rip roaring energy, and I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, people took it the wrong way, in my opinion. Um, normally, I would bash somebody, and it's really like a flip of the coin as to how I'm going to react to something. You know, I could look at that, and I could my brain could go, "Oh, this guy's a dead man walking. He knows it. He doesn't care anymore. He's apathetic. Um, he's worn down. He was three and nine last season. They made him get rid of his coaches. Blah blah blah." I took it as a different way. Um, Big Ten media days are fun for us. Media, for coaches, it's the biggest nightmare on earth. They don't want to be there. They don't want to talk about this garbage. And they don't want to say the stupid things over and over again that they're supposed to say. So I thought about it. And this is what I've been doing lately. I get my initial reaction. And then I think about stuff. And then I have a different reaction. If he came out and said, we were three and nine last year, but we lost most of our games by less than 10 points. We pushed Oklahoma. We, we hung in with Ohio State, blah, blah, blah. I would be like, oh, shut up, you know, <laughs> enough. You, you know, we're going to take those those close losses and turn them into wins, and we're going to go eight, eight and four or nine and three and whatever, you know. Instead, he just sat up there quietly, stoically, had no opening statement, awkward silence. Um, and then they said, do you want to make a statement? He's like, no, let's take questions. And I liked it because um, he's here for business. This is it. I mean, he knows. He's, he's, he's walking to the gallows, man. I mean, he's got to change this. Um, and he needs to talk less and do more. And I'm hoping that's the product we're going to see in the field. Well, I'd pause at this. As folks may know, listening to the show, I, I cover UCF um, in, my, in my spare time. We obviously had Scott Frost as our head coach. He's never been much of a talker. He's not the most eloquent person in the world. He's not one who wants to get in front of the media. He was actually very... I don't want to say surly in his in his first year, but he was very standoffish in year one. He got a lot better in year two at UCF, but I don't think he's very comfortable in that setting. So I wasn't surprised to hear him be a little surly, a little bit short. That's kind of his his personality. But I also agree. What's he what's he going to say? Hey, this is it. We're going to turn it around. Hey, everyone, believe in me. He's never been a raw raw kind of guy. I think he's more of a one-on-one relationship building kind of guy. So I wasn't surprised by it, but I think it feeds the narrative, right? You you walked in assuming he would be defeated. He showed you defeated. And so the net net of that is, well, he's defeated. And he very well may be, right? And there's very good reason to think that perhaps he's in that trajectory. But yeah. if you know Scott Frost at all, this is not out of personality for him. I think he's embarrassed, honestly. Sure. I mean, yeah. I think 
he, he got a ton of money to come back to his alma mater where he you know bleeds for this program um he left a program he really loved coming off an undefeated season and he's been horrible i mean it's been horrible you know he's getting worse every year i mean three and nine is almost impossible in power five these days you know because you have mm-hmm. cupcake wins and you also have a couple of teams in your conference that are average to below average that you could pick off so you know he's just not happy he's embarrassed and he's pissed and so i think that's what we saw at big Ten media day which is better than saying garbage i just don't want to hear garbage i, I like intriguing things you know we can segue into ryan day and what he said about 11 and 2. i like that you know like okay now if he had come out and said we're three and nine it sucks we're embarrassed i'm embarrassed this is an embarrassment to nebraska football if i don't get this right i should be fired i would like that but if you're not going to be that fiery guy and self-deprecating if you're going to feed us garbage about you know turning it around and excited about this that and the other just be quiet and that's what he was if you're a Nebraska fan, like here's a hot take question. What are you rooting for? Do you do you want him to go seven and five and show a little bit of promise? Or do you want another three and nine, let this thing crater out and, and kind of move on? I guess if he has some success, will Nebraska have to stick with him, right? So if he wins five, six, seven games, gets him to the, you know, Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl or whatever, yeah. is that gonna be enough, you think, for Nebraska fans? Is that is that a good thing, I guess, is really the question to ask. Easy, easy answer to this. And and I, I get this question a lot about fans, you know, are you rooting for him to fail so that you know, Derek Dooley at Tennessee, it was clear he was not the guy. Let's just get this over with. Um with Scott Frost, it's a hundred percent we want him to be successful because this is the Mario Cristobal hire for Nebraska. I mean, this is mm-hmm. the guy who is the best fit, who is the best coach. You know, this isn't Mike Riley, who's a nice guy, um, you know, but doesn't have those ties, those deep, deep ties to Nebraska. This is one of our own. This is a guy who helped us, you know, win. Um, this is a guy who was under the Tom Osborne era and all that stuff. So it's like, I mean, well, the successful era, let's put it that way. Because um, I could get back to that. We did the Bo Pelini thing last year, and, and, and Osborne and Solich were, the, the to me, the, the successful era in Nebraska football. So Scott Frost kind of reminds you of that. Um, and they want him to succeed. Because if he goes 3-9, and nine, then what do you do? What do you do? Do you try to lure Wayne Kiffin to Nebraska? It's not going to happen. I mean – the right amount of money, maybe, but Lane Kiff is not dumb. Um, he's going to take the job where he can be successful. Do you accept a Bill O'Brien, you know, who was at Penn State and is not a, a, a well-liked person? I mean, where do you go from here if the guy that you, you know, expect to, you know, win because he's going to lead for your program fail? So they want him to win. They'll take seven, I think, deep down. In, Nebraska fans will say they're going to win ten maybe 11, um, maybe nine, but they'll take seven another year of Scott Frost because three to seven is enough of a turnaround where they, then they can project 10 the next year. So if in five months, if you and I were talking and I said to you, Nebraska had a successful season, that means they will have done what? Uh, going to a bowl, one more than okay. six games. Um, you know, six and six to me isn't successful because they will, you know, they'll get a bowl bid um 
seven and five to me would be a success based on a three and nine season. So that's what I'm looking for. Well, speaking of number of wins, you mentioned Ryan Day. He had some interesting comments too about sort of you know where where he's at, or I guess where Ohio State's at. Basically, saying eleven and two, like just might not cut it. Um, there are probably a hundred coaches in the in this conference, in this league, in this in this era who would give their entire left arm to win eleven games, and would probably be you know cashing major major checks and up for major jobs. In Ryan Day's world, eleven just ain't gonna cut him. Like that's. It's an interesting construct when you think about it, but in some reality, you get it, right? Like the expectations are so high at these schools. 11 wins, they'll take his arm off for him and hit him with it versus celebrating, you know, what he did with 11 wins. Well, this is Ohio State. I mean, you, you know, we're not talking about Purdue or uh, we're not talking about Iowa. You know, whether nine, nine wins is okay. Um, Minnesota, nine wins is okay. Ohio State, it's... it's you know, national championships, especially the way he recruits, especially the way Urban Meyer set the bar so high, winning a national title, winning recruiting, uh, doing recruiting so well, like top three classes. And Ryan Day's recruiting top three classes as well. So he gets it. I don't know multi-millionaire Ryan Day. I knew hmm. assistant coach Ryan Day. I knew GA Ryan Day. I knew the hunger and drive of Ryan Day. And I know how smart he is because you're not going to get dumber with more money. Um, so what I speak of is what I used to know. And this guy gets it. He's not, he's very, very sharp. He's very smart. He understands what's expected. Um, and he strives for greatness. He will not have it on the other way. And, you know, this was a quarterback under Chip Kelly, uh, you know, back in New Hampshire. And the funny thing, someone, a friend of mine, who knows, you know, both Chip and Ryan and, and I've known forever. And he's in he's in the NFL now. He said to me, man, just think like 20 plus years ago, would you ever in a million years think that Ryan Day, the quarterback uh, for Chip Kelly, you know, in freaking New Hampshire, those two guys would be running two of the biggest programs, you know, in college football. And I know UCLA is not to the level of Ohio State, but it is kind of fascinating. And he's learned from the right people. He worked under Urban Meyer. Um, you know, he w worked and, and knew, uh, you know, Tom O'Brien. Um, he worked under Urban again at Ohio State. So he just, he's kind of, he gets it. And I think he's going to be successful. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to win a national championship, whether it's this year or next year or the year after. Um, and that's what I like to hear, you know, it's legit. Some things come off garbagey, you know, some things come off like, oh yeah, yeah, we're, we're here to win a national championship. I forget who, I don't know. Oh, Clark Lay, poor Clark, <laughs> right? Well, hey, you they know? got a vote. They got a, they got a first place vote in yeah, the uh, SEC media poll. So his, come on. His, his grandmother, I don't know who, but whoever that is should be kicked out of the media immediately. But Clark, you know, we're going to be the best program in college football. I mean. You have to say that, but I can't. I can't consume that without laughing. Uh, I can consume Ryan Day. You know, eleven to two isn't good enough without laughing. Is there a pressure on Ryan Day? I mean, you, you just you lauded him for three minutes about you know how great he is and 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 that you think he'll bring a national championship. But is there a pressure if he goes eleven and two and he goes eleven and two next year and eleven and two the year after that? Which I don't know. I don't know if that's plausible. They got to your point. They're just loaded with talent, so that something really catastrophic has to happen probably year after year. But 
can can he go eleven and two? Is, is there is there that much pressure that this is a bad season and and he can't stack too many of those on top of each other because he's coming off of the Urban Meyer regime where obviously they were highly successful. See, this is this is a good question because it's people in college football, dummies in college football, as I call them, they don't understand the difference between hot seat and pressure. There's pressure on Ryan Day. There's been pressure on Ryan Day since day one taking over for Urban Meyer. There's just pressure. You're following a legend. You're following a guy who won a national championship. You're taking over a massive program with high expectations and millions and millions of dollars of boosters. Um, did I call you a dummy? I don't know. Did I? I don't know. No, yeah, no, 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 no. You we'll let the, the audience question. decide. We'll let the audience you, decide. Yeah. You asked the question. <laughs> people, are, <clears throat> people are dumb. Pressure versus hot seat. No, I didn't call you a dummy because <laughs> I put out a hot seat, right? So I, I put Sark on the hot seat. I put this out last week and everybody said he's not on the hot seat. This is ridiculous. This is stupid. So my assumption that he's on the hot seat is because the athletic director had to come out and give him a vote of confidence in his first year. Uh, they lost to Kansas. That's not good. And Texas is so much pressure that that pressure of a bad season not going to a bowl an embarrassing season for texas turns into hot the next year if if ryan day goes five and seven this year and then it turns into hot seat big time um not fireable but hot seat um but he's under pressure yeah absolutely he's under pressure um the only one who's not under pressure in the big 10 is jim harbaugh because jim harbaugh uh is you know really he's a mich yeah he's a michigan guy it, 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 and this is why he's not under pressure or he's not under any hot seat because jim jim harbaugh can do this he can be mediocre for many years win his nine ten games he could break through go to the playoff then he can go interview for an nfl job which he expects to get publicly on signing day not get the job come back and Michigan says, it's okay, Jim. We still love you. Yeah. We'll give you a, an extension. It wasn't a huge extension or anything like that. He, he could do no wrong. He is the guy who's married to the woman who will let him cheat. So there's no pressure. No pressure there. Um, Ryan Day is married to you know, a program that will not accept anything but success. So he's definitely... Uh, He's definitely under pressure, not on a hot seat in any way, shape, or form. Does he go 11 and 2 the next four years and not win a national championship and get on the hot seat? I think that's a stretch because 11 and 2 is really good, you know, or 10 and 2 regular season. Uh, but if he has one down season, nine wins. Uh, and we've seen them lose to Purdue, we've seen them lose to Iowa. You know, there are blips here and there. And, and he lost to Michigan. So he, he's under extreme pressure, and he knows it. This is probably a question Buckeye fans do not want me to ask. Well, I'll, I'll duck as I ask you this question. How long do you think they can keep him? Obviously, the NFL rumors have circled around him in the past. Do you, do you see him as a pro coach? Do you see him testing himself at that level at some point? I don't. He, he So Brian Day is a pro guy for sure. I mean, he went off from, uh, you know, I think it was – Acting up from BC to the pros, you know, he was a quarterback coach. He worked under Kelly at San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. He's not an idiot. He's not dumb. He's got 
one of the top three jobs in college football. Um, and I, I thought about that for a second because it could be the top job in college football. Um, hmm. It's just a great job. And he knows it. And he just, I think there's some days and he won't, you know, I don't really, we don't get to chat very much anymore. But I think there's some days where he legit looks around and pinches himself and says, wow, you know, this is what I worked so hard for. And not only did I land, you know, Jeff Halfley is a great guy. I've known him for a very long time as well. Um, he's got the BC job, you know. If Brian Day had the BC job, he'd be like, okay, what's the next job? But he, he his first head coaching job is Ohio State. I think he understands the, the level of importance of that, how lucky he is, how successful he can be, and I don't think he wants to mess with the NFL. Well, actually, the next guy we're going to talk about, he's he's been NFL rumored in his past as well, and that's Mr. Kirk Ferentz, Mike, who, while his uh, his conversation at, at Big Ten Media Day, he's got concerns, Mike. He's got concerns. There's some things that he's kind of curious about. There's some some landmines I think he sees out there in the, in the horizon. Um, what did you make of, of Kirk? Obviously, a longtime college football guy, you know, coming out and talking about kind of the state of where he sees college football and the things that he's pointing out as concerns in the future. Yeah, I wrote about this. Um, I wrote about Sad Scott Frost um, because these were interesting topics to me. Um, and he's me, you know, he, he's been a head coach for 23 years. I started in this industry 24 years ago. He, he's been around as long as I have. He's old school. He's, he's a little bit crotchety. Um, <clears throat> and he likes the way things were. And he doesn't like change. Like most people, as they get older, don't like change. But I thought about it and he, you know, the tumultuous state or whatever the words he said. Yeah, we all know that, but I don't think it's like panic button because here's what I think is going to happen for Iowa specifically. Yeah, NIL is coming and we're all going to have to get used to payers, players getting paid. The transfer portal is here and it's going to get crazier. They could put windows on the transfer portal. And then the, the same day they could say you could transfer as many times as you want. It's just so dumb that mm. it's hard to comprehend where we're at. Um, and we've got super conferences coming and all this stuff. So all of this is happening at one point in time. And it's a huge shift in changing college football. But what we're going to get out of this is we're going to get an expanded playoff. And we're going to potentially get Iowa in a real, real football game in December or January. They've been in the Outback Bowl, they've been in the Insight Bowl, they've been in the Music City Bowl. They're always winning nine games, they're always winning 10, it's a really good season, but they're never, ever, ever threat to the national championship. Let's get Iowa in a playoff, an expanded one, whether it's 12, 16, 10, I don't know. And they will make the playoff one of these years and see what happens. And their fan base will go nuts over a game that really, really matters instead of some bowl game, uh, you know, in Nashville or that nobody cares about. So we don't have a great leadership. We're going to have great leadership. Eventually the NCAA is going to be pushed aside. Someone's going to come in and run this as a business and an organization, you know, a Mark Cuban type, right? Somebody who's very smart. We've got two big 12, you know, we've got two commissioners, big 12 and Pac-12 who are businessmen. You know, that's a clear indication of where we're headed. Um, we're going to be fine. It's just going to take a lot of adjustment for us old 
school guys to get used to the new college football, but it's going to be as fun as ever. I talked to a, a gentleman who I have tremendous respect for, and he just retired, and he's been in college football for over 40 years. Um, just, just a legend where he is. And he's really, really concerned about the future of college football, you know, from a recruiting aspect, from an NIL aspect, to all this stuff. And I get it. He's, you know, I think he's 70. Hmm. He's seen so many dramatic changes, and, and so is Kirk Ferentz, that there is a natural panic. But everything's going to be fine. This is the way the world works and change. I mean, you know, it's not going to be better. I mean, you know, Twitter and social media didn't make the world better. But we adjusted to it, and it made it more interesting, and that's what we're headed for in college football. What I found telling, and you kind of touched on it already, though, is is a lot of the times you hear these commentaries, it's a lot of the coaches asking for, if it feels like they're asking for, guardrails. Give us guardrails. Give us parameters. Give us some sort of a, a box to play in here, right? And to your point, who is they? Who Who's going to draw that box? And how long do you think before something like that actually gets drawn up? Or is that just pie in the sky thinking? And to your point, we're going to be wild, wild west until we figure out sort of the next evolution from a college football perspective. Um, it's going to be, you know, obviously there's going to be an oversight committee, but it's not going to be NCAA oversight committee. It's going to be a business model. There's going to be, uh, some sort of for-profit company that takes over college football. Um, and the head of that, similar to the commissioner of the NFL will be one who helps with a players association um but there will be a players association for college football players because you know <clears throat> we're going to have our first player strike we're going to have our first sit down all this stuff's coming um but the federal government is really what's going to eventually fix this um mm. you know the, the ncaa would waited and waited and waited on them for nil and they had more important things to deal with um and they didn't really want to get involved and they still don't want to get involved but this is a multi-billion dollar industry that is going to be subject to many many antitrust issues and then the government will get involved and they'll put those guardrails in on nil um and then whoever's in charge of this new organization whatever you want to call it nfl light whatever (laughs) is going to put the guardrails on the portal and and conferences and 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 playoff and all that other stuff and they're going to work with the athletic directors still and they're going to work with the coaches um but that's what's going to happen but we're we're years from that people talk about the one-year anniversary of nil we might as well be starting from scratch because from last summer to this summer nobody knows what they're doing still nobody has any clue what they're doing it's all guesswork and it's all still a lot of kids saying, I'm going to put my trust in you, Mr. So-and-so that I've never heard of or don't know to make me money. And some of those guys are qualified to make you money. And some of them are just complete idiots who, you know, popped up a business because you can get an LLC anywhere and promised kids things. Um, so we're still five years from NIL. We're still five years from, you know, potential player trades um you know potential firings and cuts uh, mm. potential contracts 
Right. People say, I mean, the NFL is different because they have free agency and they have limits and salary caps and they have all that coming. It's all, it's all coming to college football, but we're years and years away from it. <clears throat> but there's going to be situations where you're going to be able to take a Jordan Addison out of high school and sign him to a four-year deal to play for Pitt where he can't leave. Um, and if he leaves after three, great, you know, NFL bound. But that that's all coming too. It's just nobody knows when and how, and it's not in a hurry. Just like these conferences, you know, we had USC and UCLA jump to the Big Ten and everybody's waiting for the next day for the next shoe to drop. It's not working like that. It's going to be slow process behind the scenes, and that's when things will get done. Um, and it's going to be probably five or six years before we even settle into any sort of semblance of NIL as to what we we know what we're doing. College football coaches are smart, right? I mean, and everyone who gets in front of a microphone, there's there's typically a strategy. There, there's an agenda. There, there's something they're trying to push, right? What 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 purpose does this serve Kirk Ferentz to bring these concerns up? Why do you think coaches, and, and obviously Kirk's the latest to put his name on this, is there a strategic element in Kirk bringing this up? Or in your opinion, is this just simply he's riffing out a microphone just talking about the good old days? No, I, I think Kirk Ferentz absolutely loves, absolutely loves college football. I think he, he feels passionate about, you know, the development of young men and the amateur status of college football and how innocent it is compared to the NFL and all this other stuff. Uh, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is also <clears throat> is he knows he's smart. He knows he's going to lose coaches. He knows he's going to lose personnel. Nobody can keep up with this. They just can't. There's going to be coaches that leave the coaching profession to go on to be other things, stockbrokers, whatever. There's going to be coaches that leave college football to go to the NFL because they don't want to deal with this garbage. And Kirk Ferentz, like every other coach that I've talked to, understands and knows that this is really – it's unmanageable right now from a coaching aspect. You know, it used to be your job was to recruit and develop, you know, to recruit, develop, coach. Now your job <clears throat> is to market, recruit, roster manage, um, coach. It's just nonstop. And it just, there's no letting up. So I think he understands that. And it could very well be, listen, his son is his offensive coordinator and he probably shouldn't be. The offense has been pretty bad and stuff like that. But yet yeah. having a son <clears throat> in this industry who has to do so much, you know, the head coach has to do a ton, but he's looking at his assistant coaches and how much they have to do. And I think he's just like, come on, let's, we got it, we got it we got to put a break on this so that we can't just, you know, work for four years on a kid and then have come someone slide in with a better NIL deal and then we lose them in recruiting. I mean, that's just not the way it should be. Um, so I think it's, it's self-serving like everything is, but I think he's worried about his coaches and to a lesser extent, his, his players, because I think a lot of his players are, looking elsewhere and seeing these NIL deals and wondering why they're in Iowa and where's my money. <laughs> and it's changed who they are. They came to campus as hungry kids who wanted to get to the NFL and win college football championships. And now I think it's changed them where they're talking and looking at their buddies and saying, where's my money? And I think that worries them too. There's probably a lot of people who've walked around saying, why am I in Iowa? But so essentially what you're saying though, is it sounds like, 
there, you know, there's a shift and it's probably been happening for a while. The coach is now the CEO, right? I think back in, in the olden days, and I'll put that in air quotes, the coach was the coach. He knew X's and O's, power sweep to the right, you know, blitz the linebacker, whatever. And these days, coaches are really CEOs. And that's that's ultimately what that role's become. And I wonder how how many coaches like a Kirk Ferentz who got into it for the purity aspect of it because they want to call plays and run the jet sweep and do whatever are now walking around like, I'm a CEO. I have to manage my middle managers, which are my assistant coaches. I have to manage my, my staff, which are my players. I have to manage, you know, my accounting department. I have to manage my video production department. It, I mean, the, the coach position has changed so much. And I, I, I'm curious, I guess, how many of these coaches who are sitting around in a Kirk Ferentz type situation going, man, I didn't sign up for this. Like, this isn't what I got into this for the purity of it. The money's great. Don't get me wrong. But is this really what I signed up for? And am I am I best equipped to do this? And also, I mean, purity is a word that I kind of scoff at a little bit in college football, because uh, college football head coaches are extremely egotistical and arrogant. And they, they're the last ones to admit that, but they are. And they love control, you know, sure. and this is less control. So purity, I think he likes being the guy and like being in charge and like running a program and being able to tell everybody what to do and what they should do. And now he can't, you know, you sort of can't, you know, you can't tell that kid you sit your ass on the bench because he could just skip the bench and go right to the portal. So you have to like baby them in, in many ways. Um, he's going to have players making more than him eventually. I think that's concerning. But here's the other thing I've learned. When I was at Rivals for 100 years, um, I didn't have to worry about being a CEO. I, I never wanted to be in charge of Rivals, run Rivals, do any of that stuff. I just want to be a content creator. Now that I've got Mike Farrell Sports, I'm doing everything, everything, uh, you know, it's just like I'm doing everything from uh, deal negotiations to ad sales to, you know, content to, um, you know, training uh, to bringing on interns to podcasts to everything. I'm doing everything and, and I'm not doing it as efficiently as I'd like to because I'm doing everything and it makes me feel slightly bad about myself because I can't keep up with all of it. Um, and I think that's what coaches think too. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a God. And now I'm a guy who's trying to manage 50 things and I don't know what to do. Sad Mike Farrell, uh, despondent. Mike Scott Farrell. Frost on line one for you. <laughs> and, and, you know, it makes them feel worse about themselves, honestly. And, 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 you know, egotistical, narcissistic people don't want to feel worse about themselves. They don't want that, <laughs> that, that layer chipped away where they feel that they can't manage everything and they can't control everything and handle everything. And, and this madness that we currently have here makes them vulnerable and makes them feel, gee, you know, he's getting hammered on a daily basis about NIL. And, and, you know, he's used to getting hammered on a daily basis about having his son as the offensive coordinator or winning only nine games. I'm sure now that's coming like, soon. Yeah. It, oh, it is. But what's your collective? What's your, you know, what's your plan for NIL? What's this, that, and the other. And he doesn't know NIL from, uh, you know, uh, 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 neuroscience. I mean, maybe Kirk Ferentz is a neuroscience scientist. I don't know, but get what are the interns on that. He doesn't know it. He just doesn't know it. And it makes him feel bad about himself. And this is the human level of, you know, college sports and professional sports that nobody talks about. Nobody wants to talk about mental health issues and all that stuff and feeling of good and feeling of bad and self-esteem and self-worth. 
I can guarantee you this, and he'll deny it to, to his grave, but part of this is Kurt Ferentz not feeling as good as he was when he could manage everything, and now he's just sort of scrambling. Wow, I did not expect a, a Mike Farrell uh, mental health conversation to break out today, but you know, you, you never know what you're going to get around here, Mike. Let's let's transition to another story that got a lot of pu- a lot of publicity, and it's interesting the way this breaks because we're talking about media, talking about narratives. Uh, Matt Corral was at uh, Carolina Panthers um, training camp and was answering a bunch of questions, and you know, had a lengthy answer about sort of going to Ole Miss and and what that time was like, and a lot of folks misinterpreted or maybe. I correctly interpreted. I don't know. Maybe I don't have the the right to judge yeah. that. Interpreted that to say Matt Corral is regretting his decision to go to Old Miss, and that's kind of what he's giving voice to. I know you heard those comments. You had a pretty strong reaction to to what you heard Matt say, and the reaction to that. So, what's your yeah. perspective on a what you heard Matt say, and then b the the reaction to what it is that he actually said? Well, first of all, I will admit I am a hundred percent a hypocrite. Hundred percent. There's no. Ifs, ands, or buts about that. I'm a hypocrite because I did that with Caleb Williams' dad. I took the juiciest part of a conversation that was in a newspaper, and I, the one, I guess I, did I glamorize it? Did I, I don't know. I made it the subject of my uh, story, of my tweet, of everything. And, you know, did... Carl Williams really feel that the Oklahoma fans ran his son out. I don't know. I don't know his level of, you know, thinking. I don't know if he's that delusional. I don't, I don't know. But what I did is I took a little bit of an article and I, you know, just, it just blew it up. And that's what's happening here. You know, so here I am being pissed about it, but yet I do it myself. But what happened is, you know, Mackerel regrets playing at Ole Miss. No. I, I, first of all, I don't know Matt Corral. Um, I, I knew a little bit of him in high school. He was a difficult kid to sort of deal with because he had a lot of off-field issues and you know, chip on his shoulder. And the Matt Corral that I've seen grow at Ole Miss, at least from the outside looking in, is a different human being. He's a mature kid. He's a leader. He really, really went from potential problem child to a really great representative of Old Miss football. So what he's saying here is competition is important. He's behind Baker, he's behind Darnold, he's a rookie, blah, blah, blah. And what he's saying is that he made a lot of his decision decisions based on you know the competition level at Old Miss, you know, that he could play right away, which a lot of kids do. A lot of kids pick schools where they think they could play right away. He's not regretting Old Miss. Um, he's not regretting playing there. He's not regretting representing them whatsoever. Uh, what he did say, which he can't say, of course, is honesty and hindsight. He might have chosen a school with a lesser path to playing time. And then people think, oh, he regrets playing for Old Miss. He didn't want to go there. He sucked. I mean, it sucked. He had a horrible experience. None of that is true. I don't know Matt Corral. He doesn't talk to me. Um, but I can guarantee you this based on what I know about him and people I know who know him. There's no way he regrets his time at Old Miss and there's no way he's not proud to be a representative of Old Miss football. Um, he just said something and it was taken to the 10th level. But I guess at the heart of what he's saying, and, and correct me if I if think I'm incorrect on this, the heart of what I heard him say was, I needed more development. 
I didn't get a chance to develop as much. Maybe I didn't get a chance to, you know, there's that old saying, you have to sort of earn your keep, right? You have to kind of earn and battle for the spot. I almost looked at that more as a development perspective. I looked at it. So him saying to himself, I didn't develop myself as much as I could have. I didn't push myself as much as I could have. I think it came off as old Miss didn't do it. But I, in some respects, I think he's looking back and saying, hey, because I knew I was the guy, was I in, you know, was I in the weight room when I should have been? Was I in the film room? A great story that came this week. I don't know. It's not on our show sheet here, but we'll talk about it anyway. Kyler Murray's new contract as a clause that he has to watch four hours of video a week or they can void the contract, right? Like, is this in that same vein where Matt Corral is like, hey, self-accountably, maybe I could have done more. Maybe I should have done more. Maybe I, I, I had it easy so I didn't push myself, right? I, I took that more self-accountable versus old misaccountable. Um, yeah, perhaps. And, and, you know, the weird part about this is everybody takes this as if he was anointed to start a quarterback from day one. You know, he was not. <laughs> he sure. ended up playing a couple games and redshirting, and he had to win the competition. Now, he wasn't competing with, you know, quarterbacks at Clemson and Alabama and, and some of the other programs that have produced great quarterbacks, Ohio State and others. But, you know, I, I think it's a situation where he's just saying that he chose the school because there was a greater path to early playing time when he shouldn't have worried about that. It's his mind frame set. It's how he's framing it in his mind is that I looked at these schools. Now, remember, this was a kid who was committed to USC. USC dropped him. He's committed to Florida. Florida dropped him. He had all field issues, all this stuff. He didn't have a ton of offers left. Um, people were sort of shying away despite the talent. And I think he looked at the schools that he had left on his list. And part of the reason he picked old is because he could play. Um, and I think he's saying that that shouldn't have been part of the process. It shouldn't have been part of his decision process. Now, I think <clears throat> when he, when he's re-interviewed, he'll say, I made the right choice. I made the choice to go to the school that I love. I got lucky that Lane Kiffin became the coach there because I didn't commit to Lane Kiffin, but he showed up and he helped me develop as the man that I am and the player that I am and all this stuff. He'll say all the right things. Um, it's so funny because some of these kids really, really don't like me personally out of high school because of rankings or because of truth and honesty or whatever. And we've got two kids here that don't. Kyler Murray hated me. He blocked me on Twitter. He didn't like me because we didn't have him as a five-star. Um, he was, you know, I, I had him, you know, too small, blah, blah, blah. And he proved all that wrong. He was the number one pick in the NFL draft. I mean, you can't get any better than that. But he didn't like me. And I'm still blocked to this day. And I'm sure he doesn't even notice. He doesn't even care. He doesn't think about me. He's counting his money. Um, but he was a very, very petulant sort of, diva and that happens at the quarterback position matt corral didn't like me you know there were some accusations that i was the reason he lost the scholarship at usc and i won't get into all that but there were accusations of that which is so far from the truth it's hilarious but he grew up you know and he had he had an opportunity to become or stay petulant, to be a diva, to be a jerk. And now we're seeing the different Matt Corral. We're seeing the self-deprecating Matt Corral. We're seeing the reflective Matt Corral. He came out and talked about his substance abuse issues and all this stuff. We're seeing a mature human being who is saying something mature. 
He's saying, listen, right. I made this choice partially because I thought I could play early and that's not what I should have done. It shouldn't have been a factor. And people are just taking it and they're saying, oh my God, he shouldn't, you know, he regrets old miss. He hated it there. He must not get along with Kiffin, blah, blah. None of that's true. This is just a kid who has grown up. And I will tell you this, I don't know Kyler Murray. I don't think he's grown up. Yeah. I think that four hour clause in there is a great example of how he's not grown up. I think his demeanor on the sidelines of the playoff loss is a great example. And I told my buddy who loves to follow what I do, like I've known him since he was 10 and he's not in sports. He's a sports guy though. And I tell him stuff, little nuggets of stuff because he's in fantasy football and all. So I told him when Kyler Murray was drafted number one overall, I said, he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem. He's got an attitude. He's got an attitude issue. Hmm. And he's just like, oh, wow, really? You know, and I would tell him some of the stories that I don't tell publicly. And here we are in whatever, year four of Kyler Murray, and he's a problem. He's a rich problem, but he <laughs> is going to set this Arizona Cardinal franchise back 10 years because now they can't get rid of him. And hmm. more of the diva and petulance is going to arise. So I'm, I'm a straight shooter. I'll tell you what I think. I don't think Matt Corral regrets Ole Miss. I don't think Matt Corral meant anything by it. I think Matt Corral is trying to say that He's in a situation now where he has to compete more than ever, and he welcomes it. Whereas in high school, he didn't welcome it, and he chose a school based on the quickest path to playing time. I know you're not a Carolina Panthers uh, um, insider, but th that's a fascinating quarterback battle, by the way, Darnold and, and Mayfield. Who, who do you who do you have winning that thing starting week one uh, against the Browns? Actually, well, it's going to be Mayfield. I mean. I know people in every NFL organization and I know people in Carolina and they're not telling me secrets. Trust me. This is the funny part about it. You know, I know a lot of people in organizations and they lie to me 99% of the time. They lie to me because most of what I do is the draft, you know, so they'll say, Oh, we love this kid. Let's let Farrell put that out there. Let's let all these other idiots put that out there. And then we could head fake and take somebody else. And it just lies. Um, so no one's going to tell me who's starting, but I, my gut feeling tells me from just analyzing this, and that's what I have become in a, in, in a sense, an analyst more than a writer, even more than a scout. Two and two together, it's going to be Baker Mayfield. I mean, they wouldn't have gone and got him. He, he's got a lot of risks involved with him. Matt Rule is a no-nonsense guy. Matt Rule doesn't like quarterbacks with attitudes. Um, but Matt Rule also sees his quarterback room, and he sees a rookie who he likes but isn't close to ready. And he sees Sam Darnold, who's not very good. Uh, and, and, and he knew he had to go out and get somebody. Carolina's screwed. I mean, I'm not an <laughs> NFL guy, but they're screwed. And Matt, it, good for us, though, because Matt Rule will be back in college football. He'll take his $85 million guaranteed money or whatever from the NFL. And he'll, you know, still be wearing, you know, whatever, like uh, oversized polos and crappy jeans or what Matt rule will be Matt rule, <laughs> but he'll come back to college football and he'll take a big job and we're going to be blessed because of it. Because what he did at Baylor was arguably the best job I've ever seen anybody do in college football. Um, but they're screwed. I mean, they, they don't have, they don't have the quarterback to make the playoffs. And if he doesn't make the playoffs this year, he's going to be fired and then he'll be back in college football. 
I guess it'll be good for the sport, Mike. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't, I don't you know, I, I don't know if Mayfield's the guy there long term either, right? I, I'm curious if this is just a, a holdover stop. Are we seeing one last shot, Baker, in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and this is how ridiculous things are, right? He's got an attitude. We know this. People don't like him. We know this. People don't like Aaron Rodgers, but he wins, so they put up with him. Um, you know, and, and nobody comes out and says we don't like Baker Mayfield because nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be that guy. It will come out more and more. Like Robbie um, Anderson said something about <laughs> in a tweet it, about that. And there will be more people that do that as Baker, right. you know, doesn't succeed. But this was the number one pick overall. Yeah. Was it a reach at number one? Yes. So was yes. Kyler Murray. But he led the Browns to the playoffs for the first time in a billion years. That was a dangerous, scary football team with Baker Mayfield. He got hurt. He played through that injury where a lot of people could have said, ah, I'm out. You know, I'm going to heal. I'm going to rest. I'm going to have surgery. He pushed through a very difficult situation and injury, and he looked like crap doing it. But that's just who he is. He's a tough competitor. And you can be a tough competitor and not a great person and not a cool person to hang out with. And I'm sure Baker Mayfield's cool to hang out with if you like him and if he likes you. But I don't think he's going to be given a ton more chances simply because of who he is, not because of his lack of ability. It's the reason he hung out there for so long is definitely his attitude and not his ability. So if he fails at Carolina, he's going to hang out there along more, you know, a lot more and he'll be a backup. And then as a backup, then he'll drift away and be gone from, from the NFL. But it sucks because the trajectory was really good. You know, number one pick, Browns playoffs, they're going to be dangerous. And then it just fell right off. And it was a large part due to the injury that he played through. Well, if he's going to be successful, Mike, it'll largely, you know, be based on probably a, a group up front, Mike, offensive line. And you had a chance this week. So the Mike yes. Farrell rankings have continued on. You you promised or maybe threatened is the right word in this. I don't really know uh, to come up with your uh, your top 50 offensive linemen. So that is what's projected on screen here. If you're following along on YouTube, which you should do, by the way, make sure you're subscribed while you're here. Uh, I don't I don't even know how to ask this question, Mike, because I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I actually know, you know, how good Ricky Strom is but just walk me through the process how did you decide what were the measurements that helped you okay. figure out i mean there's tackles there's guards there's center i mean how did you come mm -hmm. up with this thing so it was really the first thing i did is I, I i went through you know every offensive line group in power five and group of five um and then i started to read more about those groups you know because you don't get a lot of individual articles about guys um, you know, and then the, the ones that I already knew the NFL draft ones, you know, a lot of the guys at the top, I, I watched again because I've, I've already seen them, you know, but I just wanted to see them, you know, a, a Cooper baby compared to a Zion Nelson and just see who's this, that, and the other from a college perspective. And then from a potential perspective, you have Broderick Jones pretty high on this list and he hasn't played a lot, but I scouted him in high school. I know how athletic he is. I know how good he can be. Um, and, and then you try to weigh positional, you know, tackles are a little bit more important than guards. Uh, centers are a little bit more important than guards because they're more rare. And you just throw it at the wall. I mean, it's just guesswork, a lot of it. Um, it it's, it's not going through 
you know, magazines and stuff and seeing who's preseason this and who's preseason that. It's actually just sort of like talking to a lot of people as well in the NFL world and, you know, who's your O-line list right now and who do you like? And and even that doesn't help because a lot of these guys are younger and not NFL draft eligible. Um, so this was a difficult one, but it was a really fun one because I love offensive linemen and they never get any credit and they never get any love. And this is love for them. Now, the funny part about it is when I did the wide receivers and the running backs, quarterbacks are too good for the room. So they're not going to comment on rankings. Running backs, wide receivers, you know, running backs are, we want to be proven wide receivers are divas. So I got a lot of player comments from those. O-linemen don't want attention. They just Mm. don't. It was crickets. None of them commented. None of them care. None of them, they're all a unit. Um, and that's their mentality. And that's why I love them so much. So this was a really fun list to put together. Is it accurate by any means? I don't know. I probably not. Uh, are there guys missing? Yeah. And will it be adjusted? Of course, but it was a lot of fun to put together. And it also educated me quite a bit on certain O-line groups because man, it's hard to find information out there about offensive line groups. You'll see stories written about, oh, yeah, the Alabama offensive line's reloaded. You know, well, good. Who are they? Um, It's just, you know, Christian Mahogany should be on this list, right? He's for Boston College, but he got blew out his ACL. I talked to five people who had no idea he was injured. No idea. (laughs) I could have plopped him on this list. He's a top 10 offensive lineman to me. And people be like, you're an idiot. He blew out his ACL. He's not even going to play this season. Now do you have him number 10? You have to do research. You have to dig into it. You have to talk to a lot of people. It sucks because this one list takes me hours and hours and hours. And I could have done 17 other articles rather than do this. But this to me is fun. I know you have three Georgia Bulldogs on your top 50. Should I interpret that to mean you think that may be the top O-line group in the, in the country? They're up there. Alabama's up there as well. Uh, Oklahoma has a really good offensive line group that nobody really talks about. Um, but yeah, and Michigan does too. I mean, Michigan has a couple guys on here and it could have three. I would say Georgia, number one, simply because they got backups who would start for a lot of different teams and they lost a lot. Um, you know, they, they, they lost. Uh, a couple of key, I mean, J- Jamari Sawyer was a huge part of that national championship win. So they lost a lot, but they've replaced so much. And it's just a, it's a machine, just like Alabama. Um, and I think those two programs, more than anybody, just replenish talent at that position over and over again. And, uh, and they're going to be dangerous to deal with. Uh, but watch out for Oklahoma. You know, everybody's looking at Dylan Gabriel in the passing game, and I have Dylan Gabriel in the uh, the the barrel statistical projection, which is coming out for Dylan Gabriel uh, hopefully this week, putting up big numbers. You know, the, sure. the computer has him putting up big, big numbers passing. But this it's going to be based on the balance of the offense and the ability to run the football. Okay, you can find all of Mike's list at uh, his website, MikeFarrellSports.com, or follow him on Twitter, Instagram. You'll see those lists there as well. Mike, let's let's wrap things up here with Mike is pissed off. I got a, got a couple of things I want to get your temperature on and find out whether you're pissed off about these things or not. Uh, first off, 
Did you see the Notre Dame uniform reveal video with Marcus Freeman and the Golics mm -hmm. and yeah. the New Jersey's uniform reveal videos? I feel like it's something that would piss you off. Am I wrong? Not, not if the uniforms are good, but those okay. suck. I don't like so them. Yes. Okay. They're dumb. You know, I mean, I want cool uniforms. I like, you know, the NFL is doing alternate helmets this year. I'm like, it's about freaking time. First of all, the NFL is stupid in many ways because alternate helmets would just lead to billions and billions of dollars, well, hundreds of millions of dollars more revenue because yeah. you get a guy who's a big Atlanta Falcons fan who can get a current helmet, a speed flex in the old red, they're going to buy it. It's money. Um, these uniforms in college football are, are, are money, you know, but not if they're shitty. I, I don't know if I can say that, but they, they were awful. Yeah, it didn't did. look good. I'm going to have to hit on YouTube. This is not for kids, but I always say this is not for kids. But it just—I yeah. didn't like if it's a if it's if it's a uniform. That's like whoa. I don't mind the reveal, but I didn't like that uniform. It's like a four-minute video that was a spoof of the hangover, obviously, with, with Marcus Freeman. There are some Notre Dame fans I saw on that, one of the message boards. Some people were saying that this is the you know debaucherous, that how could they be in Vegas and and you know glorifying a movie that was the hangover. I I, I love the the you know the, the soapbox the element uh, of this stuff. Of the Notre Dame fan base. The one percenters at Notre Dame are so much more fun than the one percenters at every other school. They're just so pretentious. All right. Let me get your, uh, here's something that annoys me. Watch lists. Every award has like a 75 to 80 person watch list. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's not the Doke, if it's the Blitnikoff, the Outland, the Maxwell. Watch lists to me are just, watch what? What am I watching? I'm watching this Nothing. guy's name on a piece of paper. Watch lists to me seem useless, Mike. Uh, something that pisses me off, I assume it pisses you off. Yeah, most of those kids, I mean, not most, a lot of them are stars. And then there's guys on the watch list that haven't barely even played. I mean, how can you be on a watch list if you played two games last season? Well, and take us inside. What, how do those things get compiled? Obviously, you're you're kind of in the inner sanctum of college uh, sports. How do those things get? Is it is it lobbying by SIDs? Is it media relationships? How does a kid who maybe you're like, who's this guy, get thrown on a watch list? It's all media driven. It's all sports information director driven and media driven. So everybody's putting together their media guys right now, right? Yep. Um, you know, and and. Did you say UCF uh, Media Days today? Uh, it is. Uh, ACC is today, yeah. Okay, so, you know, the media guys are just huge, huge, and they take forever. You know, usually yep. you take last year's version and obviously you have to just add in new, but it's, you know, it's a rolling Bible, so to speak. And so at this time, it's it's there's a captive media audience where you can send this stuff to the committees that vote on this stuff and put out the watch list and just say, hey, we've got these seven offensive linemen that should be on this watch list. You know, and, and three of them might not have even played it down yet. And so somebody, I don't know who, uh, who's putting together these lists just sort of takes what they can get and puts them together. There's no, I will tell you this, there's no real depth and level of research done. I did more research on my offensive line top 50 than they do on these lists. They'll just pop somebody on there. Now, the one thing they have to make sure of again is, you know, it's hard to find sometimes whether somebody's injured and eligibility right. is difficult as well. So if 
if a program sends you a kid or a watch list that's out for the season, you really rely on the sports information directors not to screw you because I, I, I'm, I'm shocked that there aren't more guys that aren't eligible to play on watch lists. And there are some guys, you know, the Chris Rodriguez of the world that still have legal issues that are being sorted out and all that stuff that will be on the watch list. But yeah, they're what they are they're for the common fan. They're like, here's 75 dudes to look at at a specific position. Um, so it's kind of neat to scan your team, but they are useless. They're completely useless. We talked about this earlier. Um, Vanderbilt got a first place vote in the SEC media poll. Uh, how should we handle that? Should that should that voter, whoever that person is, present themselves and have to face a tribunal? <laughs> what should the punishment be for somebody voting for Vanderbilt in the first place vote? They should lose all their media rights, personally. I mean, it's, this stuff, to me, it's, it's not super serious, but it's, you know, it's fun and it's neat and it's, you know, part of the media days and the releases. If you're going to make a joke about it, then just don't vote. Um, it's trolling is what it is. And, and people, you know, accuse me all the time of being a troll with, you know, my takes and comments and stuff, but my takes are real and legit. There's nobody on this planet, not one person. I don't care if it's Clark Lay's, you know, mother, grandmother, uh, wife. Nobody on this planet thinks Vanderbilt's going to finish number one in the SEC East. Nobody, not one person feels that. So that's trolling. That's just somebody who put that in there just to screw with everybody else. Um, there's no way that can be a legitimate opinion. So that person should lose their media rights. I mean, not their media rights. They shouldn't lose their ability to, to make a living but they should okay. lose any ability to vote. Anything else got you pissed off this week, Mike? Those, um, those are probably my things. Anything else so, uh, in your... Yeah. So, you know, ESPN dropped Arch Manning to number two, and I'm getting tagged in, like, crazy stuff. You know, I'm getting tagged. In. New York Post came out with an article about it. A lot, of, a lot of national newspapers came out with an article about it, that ESPN dropped him from number one to number two. Um, you know, Malachi Nelson's their number one, and I agree with Malachi Nelson being number one. But don't tag me in that stuff because you know what? He's not number two either. Just don't tag me. Uh, my point is, you know, if he's 80, then you can tag me because I think that's in the legitimate range of where he is. Uh, but not one to two. I mean, it's so slow. July is so slow that we focus on Matt Corral saying something like that or we focus on, you know, uh, ESPN dropping a kid one spot. Uh, that's not a monumental drop. It's not newsworthy. Um, and I, I, you know, I keep bringing up Arch Manning uh, simply because he's become a part of my daily life and it's my own fault. I should have never said that. I should have just, oh, he's the greatest quarterback to ever live. He's number one, perfect prospect, all this stuff. I should have just said that so I wouldn't have to talk about it anymore. But now, every time something occurs with him in any way, shape, or form, I get tagged. Stop tagging me. You know, it just makes me angry, and it makes me talk about Arch Manning more, and then you bitch that I talk about Arch Manning too much. So stop tagging me, and I won't talk about him. Stop. Nobody tag Mike Farrell unless you're going to tag this show, his uh, his website, his social media account, anything you want to yes. tag there, he'll take that. That's at M. Farrell Sports on, on both Twitter and Instagram. Mike Farrell Sports Show. Uh, again, find us on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to YouTube, by the way. I think we're in the 50s or something like that. Mike wants to get to 100 uh, by the end we're, of the week. So get to, get to, no, get to we're, 100. We're, we're close to 100. All right, we're let's actually, get to 150. Then. Let's up the ante here, Mike. Well, here's right. the thing. I mean, I find it, it's probably too long. It's an hour. I find it 
very entertaining. I think uh-huh. I, I'm a, a extremely uh, entertaining, smart, humorous, yeah. charming person. I agree. I stay awake the whole time crap. through the show. The whole time. I don't fall asleep. Nobody gives a crap. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to listen to what I have to say. So that's the embarrassing part. And it makes me, I'm Kirk Ferentz, man. Like, I, I suck at podcasts. I don't want to mm. suck at anything, but I have to do them now. And I suck at them. That's what I'm talking about with these coaches. Like, they suck at NIL. They suck at the portal. They don't want to suck at stuff. And it makes them feel bad about themselves. So subscribe just so I could feel a little less bad about myself. That is the most interesting sales pitch I think I've ever heard in terms of uh, promoting a show, but it is entertaining and you can find it again on Mike's website, MikeFrillSports.com, Mike's YouTube channel and all the things uh, that Mike is doing. Mike, I know you've got uh, a lot on your plate today, a lot of things happening your way, so make sure you're keeping up with Mike Frill Sports. What can we expect today? Any sneak previews on what's coming up on the website next couple of days? Uh, Three-point stances today, so we do the ACC tiers and we throw Notre Dame in there, which will piss people off because they hate when Notre Dame's thrown in there. But I don't want to ignore Notre Dame every time. Um, what else did I write about? Oh, I'm, I'm starting into my group of five, uh, you know, top players in group of five. I did the top five quarterbacks, top five running backs and stuff like that. There's a group of five cult out there that will be very interested in that stuff. Oh, and I'm ranking the teams in recent years based on recruiting a quarterback. I just did running backs today. And it's intriguing because I really broke down. Is it Alabama? Is it Georgia a running back? You know, and who's number three? Because there's a drop off there. I I came up with Georgia one, Alabama two, but you can make an argument. Derek Henry, Najee Harris, you know, better than Todd Gurley, uh, DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb, whatever. It's 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 fodder for argument. And I thought it was fun to do. Um, I don't know what the heck else is coming up. I mean, hmm. there's just a lot of content ideas. The edges, the top 50 edge players will be done by the next time we pod. And that will be fun because that will that'll be a little bit more exciting, I think, to people than the offensive line. Again, MikeFarrellSports.com, where you can find all that stuff. And uh, as Mike said, I appreciate your support. As always, make sure you follow along and, uh, you know, join us. Uh, we, we love all you knuckleheads joining us on this journey, so make sure you follow along. Uh, we'll uh, we'll end, uh, end this one for you for here this week, Mike. I guess I'll, I'll see you next week. Maybe who knows when these things come back up, but we'll see if Mike is still pissed off, if he's grumpy, if I he's will sad. We'll see where we have. Five minutes warning, as always. Okay. I hit you up last night at what, 830? About 830, yeah. You're like, dude, I have a freaking life. I'm like, I don't care. And then you work your schedule around today. To yeah. be you don't have nine. to read our messages out loud here. I'm like, geez. I no, mean, it's right? fine. I appreciate you because you said 3.30. <laughs> I said, no, I can't do 3.30. You said, not. so you're flexible. But yeah. yeah, no, people would really love the dynamic of me hitting you up uh, for podcasts because it's literally, I'm walking my dog. He's taking a crap and I'm like, oh, I should pod. And then I message mm. you immediately and expect you yeah. to respond within a minute and be ready yeah. to go. And it's really, really kind of Kirk Ferentz like. It's very controlling. Wow, um, I may need to go in the transfer portal. Then I'll have to explore all my options. But everybody respect my decision. <laughs> uh, big game boomer. Let's <laughs> see. That's the subject we gotta hit soon. I will tell you, I was doing lists when he was in diapers. But people think I'm copying them, and it, it, it's awesome. I love it. I, I, we got to talk about that next time. We'll get to, so tune in next week for more uh, more conversation. Until then, everybody, take care of each other. We will talk soon. Mike Farrell Sports. We are out. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.